0: From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is a Lone Star Politics podcast extra. I'm Chris Blake. The 87th session of the Texas legislature wrapped up on Monday and Speaker of the House Dade Phelan completed his first session in charge. The Republican from Beaumont sat down with Julie Fine on Tuesday to discuss his
1: 140 days as Speaker.
0: All right, Speaker, first of all, thanks for being with us. If you have to sum up the session, how do you do it?
1: It was a great success uh, on a lot of fronts, uh, considering what we were up against when session started with COVID-19, a, a pandemic that impacted, you know, Texas to a great extent and our public education, higher education and healthcare systems. Um, we had pr- uh, this winter storm URI that came through during session as well, which really shut down things for about 10 days. And where we ended up on Sunny down, I, I, I couldn't be more uh, satisfied, especially when it comes to areas in the budget. The budget was an excellent, uh, excellent bill. Uh, We fully funded public education, uh, kept our commitment to House house Bill 3 from last session. We fully funded higher education enrollment growth. Uh, We really had a great session, great budget um, and uh, telehealth, telemedicine, eminent domain reform, you know, uh, broadband, uh, a lot of the huge priorities that all Texans uh, expected from this legislature were accomplished.
0: Did the legislature go far enough addressing the problems in the power grid?
1: We did uh, a bunch of tremendous work in a very short period of time that we had. It's a very complex uh, issue. We did pass reforms to, the, uh, to PUC and to ERCOT, the two governing bodies. We um, we passed legislation on winterization, on accountability, on transparency. We had a lot done. Uh, we'll have an opportunity probably in a special session that may be coming sooner rather than later to go even further when it comes to uh, securitization and how we um, how we help the consumer, how we help some of these uh, co and and municipal providers, and with them as the debt that they they incurred in that very short window.
0: Um, what what is your first priority in the special session? I know the governor sets the priorities, but what is most important to you to see in the special session?
1: Well, I think his two priorities are spot on. Um, I knew uh, you know the other day when we didn't pass election integrity, and I told my colleagues in the Democratic Caucus that you know I have the power. Uh, in the uh, ability to lock the doors and, you know, compel members to stay in and, and, and vote on this bill. But uh, I knew we were, we were going to have another opportunity at it. Uh, and the governor was going to put it on a special election call. So we could do it tonight or we can just do it in, in this summer. So uh, I, was, I was disappointed, just like the governor. There were a lot of items on that last calendar that I wanted to get to, not just election integrity and bail reform, but also the mental health bills we had on there, uh, great criminal justice reform bill dealt with um no knock warrants and some um some other items dealing with the children's health insurance program which he actually did get to that evening but i was just really concerned in the waning hours obsession that we didn't get to it i understand the governor's frustration But um, I would like to see more criminal justice reform and more uh, healthcare reform on a special election call. I think that's something that impacts all 30 million Texans, but it's the governor's decision. I'm not gonna tell him when, when to call a special or what to put on there, but I know my house colleagues will be here ready to get the work done.
0: So you told your democratic colleagues, hey, I can lock you in and I can lock the doors. What made you decide not to do that then?
1: Well, there's precedent for it. That, that's happened in the past where the speakers have locked doors and have compelled attendance. I just, you know, I felt like at, at that moment, um, you know, getting that uh, the conference committee report, the time in which we did, and a lot of members didn't feel like they were able to, to vet everything that was in there. There was new legislation added to that bill that did not come through the House chambers. Um, you know, I felt like if, you know, we're going to do this eventually, we're going to do it before we have another election. We will pass some form of election integrity, uh, through the house and senate and get to the governor's desk before there is an election here in the state of Texas it just was was it going to happen in may is it going to happen in june july august or september we will get to this issue at some point in time the governor will put it on the call he's already said so so i, I felt like you know to to uh, you know force a vote that night lock doors Compel my colleagues to stay in the building and vote for that. Um, I feel you know we can we can vote on today or we can vote on it on Tuesday. <laughs> I didn't know when he's going to call us back. He I thought he may call us back today.
0: So essentially, you just you could lock the doors. You chose not to.
1: Correct. So it, there's been instances in the past, like with, with districting, which is a constitutional responsibility of the legislature, that uh, that speakers have locked the doors and compelled um, uh, attendance. Uh, this is a bill that will come up in a special and we will get to it and we will vet it again and we will go through uh, the election integrity process again. I will say, Julie, we did pass over 20 election integrity bills. Uh, The better part of SB7 as it left the House has um, probably more than 50 to 60 percent of it has made it to the governor's desk already. So what we didn't get to, we'll get to in a special session. I can just say that, you know, we sent over a great bill to the Senate on May seventeenth, um, they could have concurred and we would have been done with that issue. But we had to go to conference, and by the time we got the bill back drafted, it was in the waning hours of session.
0: So yeah, how do you respond to Dan Patrick's saying after the walkout? Apparently, Texas Tribune reporting the clock ran out on the House because it was poorly managed. How do you respond to that?
1: It wasn't poorly managed. Uh, you know, again, we passed election integrity on May seventeenth, and. We, we have finished every one of our calendars throughout session, uh, especially the, the ones in which he's referring to the, uh, the there's a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday where we left and let the governor, pardon me, the, the Lieutenant Governor and the Senate catch up to, um, you know, referring bills and hearing some of the house priorities. We came back in that We came back in that Sunday and we passed that Friday calendar, that Saturday calendar and that Sunday calendar on Sunday. And SB7 was not on any of those calendars the sv 7 came up late in session because we went to conference on it and by the time the bill was drafted, printed and distributed, it was the last day of session and that's just the house rules that we have in place. We had one day to take it up.
0: And the governor tweeting that he won't fund the legislative branch um, after what happened, the walkout. I mean your reaction to that?
1: Again, I understand his disappointment and his frustration. I share a lot of that with him. I will say that you know, the Constitution requires the legislature, legislators to be paid the $600 a month that we get. Uh, I'm more concerned about the staff and support agencies that are around the legislative branch. Um, those individuals w- were not responsible in any form or fashion for what uh, occurred uh, on the 139th day of the 87th session. So I would, wouldn't want to see them held accountable for the legislative um, action, legislators' actions. So. I would just say to anyone in general that we're gonna be here when the governor calls us to do the work he asks us to do when he asks us to do it. And, um, and I, you know, I want my staff to be paid. I don't think they, anyone wants to be an unpaid intern anytime soon. And so um, we wanna make certain that they're, that they're compensated for their hard work.
0: So it was your first session, um, looking back on it, you know it was a little emotional I saw at the end yesterday when people were talking to you and you were talking to them as well. Looking back on
1: it, I mean, what goes through your mind? Every day is a new day here in the Texas legislature, I can tell you that. And the 87th session was no exception. We came in with tremendous challenges coming through the first global pandemic in 102 years. A, an historic winter storm that I've never seen or none of us have ever seen that impacted the entire state of Texas. And we ended up with a really great work product I can, I can take off all the accomplishments we had that if you told me in January would be going to the governor's desk, I would have been thrilled and and I'm thrilled right now.
0: You want to do it again?
1: Uh, Of course. (laughs) Uh, I need to go home today and ask my wife if I can do it again, but I think, I think she's going to let me, I think she's going to give me the green light. So I'm, I'm prepared to be back here in 2023.
0: We'll be back with a full episode of the Lone Star Politics podcast on Sunday, as always. And hear from Julian Gromer about their thoughts on the 87th legislative session.